Hey everyone, welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And for this episode, it's part two of our collected interviews leading up to the Rhode Island Author Expo, happening December 11th from 9am to 3pm at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island. First up, it's author April Scott talking about her recently released collection of poetry, The Book of Jade. And after that, it's Elizabeth Devlin for her book, Home Waters, which combines family drama and scientific thriller. talking to debut author April Scott for her new book The Book of Jade I gotta say amazing amazing name welcome to the show I am so psyched to talk to you about this thank you for having me I'm excited to be here of course so so reading up on the book I saw that this sort of came about from a sort of like spiritual awakening you had yes could you tell me a little more um, um, about that and and, uh, and how it can like fuel you as a writer so um Honestly, I want to say halfway through the first quarter of the journey, which you're not actually aware that you're on most of the time, Mm -hmm. um, I had kind of a, what they would call a coming to Jesus moment. Like, I know what they mean now when they, when they say that, like (laughs) something happened in my life and I was just like, oh my God, I need help. Like what just happened and why, you know, and you go to all the cliche places for answers and nothing worked, nothing seemed right. And in that moment, you're just like, okay, maybe, maybe let's, let's try something different, you know? And that's what happened. And I started to get answers. And then I started to get even more interested, you know? <laughs> uh, it's kind of how it happens, right? Um, and then I just, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of, of re, refinding myself, you know? And then, and then realizing that I'm also here to help others find themselves, you know? And it's just been so magical, and I'm I'm so grateful to be able to share it. Excellent. Now, um, what would you say preceded like the coming to Jesus moment? Did something happen, or was it more just like your life kind of changed? Um. Well, once the once this one particular awakening happened, it was um, I realized that, or I learned that there are many awakenings. Mm-hmm. You know, there are many smaller ones. And that I've been going through a whole bunch of them, oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. So that's what had happened. And then this one particular moment was just what they now I know they call a tower moment. Like it was just something that really broke my heart, you know. And um, we we are programmed to perceive that as like kind of a negative thing, but mm-hmm. in um, in light of things, that is exactly what it's meant to do. You know, you have to break break through walls to let the light in, and that's exactly what happened. And it just it lit up my life, you know, because I, it drove me to find the answers as to why th- these things were happening in my life, because I'm not a bad person, you know what I mean? And when spiritually, you know, karma says you do good things, good things happen to you, right? And just morally, logistically, logically, you think you do good things, you do good work, and good things happen for you, right? Mm-hmm. So why are, why are these perceivable negative things happening to me, you know? Mm. And, um, the go-to answers that people usually go to, you know, I don't have enough money or I'm not working hard enough, didn't seem right, it didn't fit, because I'm working hard, you know, and it shouldn't always be all about the money, right? So there's gotta be another factor to this equation. What am I missing? You know, what am I missing? And, and I went looking for, I went seeking, right? I went seeking and I found. That's a heck of like a, that's a heck of like a rabbit hole to, uh, to dive into. Yeah. Um, how long would you say you kind of spent just like exploring things? 
Um, so I've been exploring things my whole life. Okay. Because um, part of this major awakening was reflection, self-reflection. Like, mm -hmm. where have I been? Who was I as that little kid? And I've always been this, like, wanderer, you know, pretending like I'm a gypsy in the backyard. And I was always an introvert by myself until I, um, I was taught that that wasn't a normal thing, you know? I was surrounded by um, people that were always around people, mm -hmm. you know? We're always partying and always having fun. And even though that wasn't an um, immediate natural thing for me, it kind of grew on me. It, it, and now I realize that it was a, big, a huge distraction because I had amassed all these things and people in my life and I was so unhappy. Does that sound sound like a few people we know, right? It sounds like everyone we right? know, actually. Ex exactly, yeah. right. You, you, I was like, like, right. You have the stuff. Here I am pointing all my fingers at these people as to why my life is a mess. And it's like, wait a minute, let me take a look. Yeah. Let me take let me take a look at myself because I'm seeing some similarities here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I actually, some of the poems that are in this book, I wrote in high school. Like, that's when I realized, oh, my God, I was having an awakening then, wasn't I? Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't stop. I had to get it out of my head, you know? And so... The book is kind of like a progression of like the beginning to this point in the journey because it's one of three, you know. Yeah, the second one's fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. How did this spiritual awakening kind of tie into writing? Did you write a lot, um, um, a lot before? Um, I've always written. I've always been a writer, and um, you know, God or you know, people in your mm -hmm. life bring. Um, opportunities in, into your life to to find these gifts or find these things that you love and I took a writing class in in high school um, called creative writing and I was just like oh hey I'm good at this uh, you know <laughs> like I like this this is making me happy and then um I've just always kind of journaled and then um, my daughter's father passed away and um, I made a new friend and it was originally supposed to be a gift and it was like I, I put my heart and soul into it, and I felt like this isn't it. Like there's something more to this, you know. And so I kept writing, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna publish this, you know. So, uh, 2017 to that was like, like six years. So for like six years, I've been like really interested and in just like really finding my way and mastering the art that is that is this the journey, you know. But um, yeah, so like my whole life, I'm like 35 now, so <laughs> 35 years, but th for that six, it was like, I've made more progress in six years than I have in the past 30, okay. you know? The April that you were before this and the April that you are now, are those two people anything like? They're very much alike. Mm -hmm. they, they are the same person. Mm -hmm. You know, I am the same person. However, I've um, recalibrated my energy. <laughs> balanced it out a whole mm -hmm. lot a whole lot you, you know you sound very balanced thank you you really do i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate because it's like a lot of work like blood sweat and tears sure literally. it always does literally. yeah i i think that i think that any kind of major like spiritual change or like personality change where you come out of it a better person you have to go through a lot of hardship to get there it's never like you wake up oh i realized this thing about me and then you're just moving on it's always like a major shift ha has to happen to yes. get there yes that, um, this one saying that I recently heard, uh, um, what do they say? Oh, 
it doesn't take calm seas to make good sailors. Yeah, exactly. I've yeah. never heard that before, but I that's that for this month that's my one. That's yeah. my, my quote. And I think that the, the the people who go through like hard times and and come out of it better for it, they kinda of wish, Oh, I wish that didn't have to happen. I wish I didn't have to like lose my best friend or my house burned down or what have you. But it's like you wouldn't have achieved those things if those things didn't happen. As right. horrible as it is, it, they were required for you to get there. Exactly. And again, it's all a matter of perception. Like this world is is so magical and there's so much about it that we don't understand yet. Mm-hmm. And when you really look at all of the factors, even the ones that are hard to accept, it just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And it makes it makes living so much more enjoyable. Mm. That's the key. That's the key. Not just to get through it because you understand it, you know, but to be able to enjoy it is the key. Mm -hmm. Going from writing to publishing, obviously a big step. (laughs) Were you at all hesitant, especially uh, because because with poetry, you are sharing so much of yourself? Um, Hesitant? No. Um, Writing blind? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All I knew is that I felt like I was being guided by spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, the energy of source, the universe, mm-hmm. to publish this because I, I even told the publishers because I'm even I was like I don't get it, but I'm gonna <laughs> do it because I've learned my lesson. You know, I've learned my lesson of not listening to my intuition and mm-hmm. and where did it get me? Looking for more answers, so I'm just gonna do this and see what happens, and I'm enjoying it. You know, that's that was step number one. Like, let me figure out how to enjoy my life mm-hmm. every day, all day. Mm-hmm. You know, if not anything else. Exactly. You know? Now, you published this um, uh, this July. Yes. So right in the middle of, I think it was like the third wave, I believe, yeah. of COVID. So obviously you couldn't do like a book tour. Uh, what was it like releasing it when you couldn't do all the normal book release things? Um, well, I'm going to steal your word. It was normal for me. Okay. Because I had never done it before, you know. So there weren't any preconceived expectations or notions, mm-hmm. you know. And aside from all the other work I did about releasing expectations so that I don't have to live with this uh, disappointment. <laughs> also part of the programming. Okay. How do it feel to have this like in your hands? Like gold. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll like bet. Like gold. Better than gold. You know, it was it was priceless. You know, just to... Because as a, I'm an Aries, so one of the... Um, Aries traits, cliche Aries traits is that we start things and don't finish them. But when you start recalibrating that energy so that it's balanced, yeah. this was something that I finished. You know, so I had already I had already accomplished something, you know, and I I told them like even if I help one person, even if I don't know that I help one person with this book, it was all worth it. How would this book help someone? What do you see as um, the way it can do that? Honestly, I asked Spirit about it. I said, hey, Spirit, how's this supposed to help people? <laughs> and they they give me, like, pictures and little words, and they said it's supposed to be kind of like a chicken soup for the soul kind of vibe. Ah. You know, it's it's like an activation code. You know, like I said, it starts at the beginning, and the beginning kind of just preps you for the rest of the book, and um, people will resonate with different poems in there, and it's kind of just a, hey, have a laugh, or hey, you're not alone, or, you know, and maybe you'll learn something from this, you know? about yourself or about other people so there isn't one like singular message it's more like it, it'll affect everyone differently it's a compilation exactly and it's, it's supposed to because everybody's different everyone's got different programming everyone's at different places on their own journeys hmm. have you gotten any feedback from folks who have like read the book and how it kind of and how it kind of impacted them oh yeah right. absolutely absolutely and that's that's kind of what propels you forward you know is to know that okay 
I did help that one person, you know what I mean, with that one page, you know what I mean, with those few verses, that those couple of lines. You know, even before I came here to see you, I, I actually had an emergency meeting with, with two different clients, you know, having miscommunication issues, like, and now I'm here talking about it, like, even more, more positive energy to propel into this book, to just propel into the universe so that, you know, it just, it's, it's a great vibe. I love it. Let's talk about uh, subject matter. What are okay. some of the themes that you cover in the book? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> love, communication, relationships, mm-hmm. um, grief. Um, just random artistic aesthetic appeals, um, music, uh, self-reflection, mm. um, the ego, mm. just, uh, uh, different things, you know? Okay. Now, I know that, of course, like, poetry is not like writing a novel. It is far fewer words. Right. But when it comes to, like, writing it, do you, like, go back and, like, make changes? Or, or is it more like what you write is what you kind of stick with? Um, absolutely, you have to, I do edit what I write, but in the way of when you're, it's called automatic writing, you're just kind of going with it, Mm -hmm. you're not even realizing what you're doing. They do tend to be typos, you know, (laughs) so, and able to communicate, communicate, look, communicate clearly with others, um, certain things have to be in order, you know what I mean? And that is the integration, you know what I mean, between the spirit and the earth realm, you know? Earth is putting the period at the end of your sentence, and spirit is making sure you're getting your message across. Mm-hmm. You know? any, um, any of your poems which are personal favorites of yours? Um, I know that that's like trying to like pick like your like favorite right. child or favorite pet. Right. So one of the shorter ones that is one of my favorites is... Um, Of course, yeah. It's your book. (laughs) Oh, this is a good one. Just because I know that quite a few people can attest to this Mm -hmm. it's not such a happy one however like I said it does cover many different feelings and emotions so this one's called scream and actually someone else um while I was in school um some classmates had to put together a podcast and they asked me to be like their talent person you know to be interviewed and they wanted to do it about the book this book and they actually picked out this poem to go over so you were just asking me about that Mm -hmm. feedback on the book So this one's called Scream. I scream, but there is no sound, no air in either direction to be found, beating hard in my chest, my head turns round. Without rest, exhausted, I recoil. Simple, but, but, um. It's definitely got a a punch to it. Yeah, sincere. Like when you're going through it, it, it makes so much sense, you mm-hmm. know, you know, and it's, the writing is more of like a, a physical representation, you know, like it's like a painting, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's something that is to be observed and not necessarily read, if that makes sense. It does, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this one's kind of funny. I wrote, um, so after her father passed away, I started working at a bar. 
I had done private hospice care for six years, so yeah. yeah. And the woman I had taken care of passed away at the age of 101, so I decided to take a little mental break. You know, <laughs> 101, like a like a champion. Right, right. And more spiritual funniness. Her birthday is the day after mine. She's wow. April 18th, and I'm the 17th, and she was born in 1913. Hmm. Pretty sure that was the year before or after the Titanic sank. Yes. After, I believe, yep. Right, yep. right around that time. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> Crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, I wrote this while sitting at the bar because <laughs> I just couldn't believe the – it's a lifestyle. It's really a lifestyle, and mm-hmm. the, ch- the chatter that goes on is mind-boggling. So, I wrote this. Current events. These current events – that was one of the last conversations I had was about current events – The events of the day, oh my, I cannot convey my distaste toward this confusion. These current events, like heat through hot grates, I vent these current events. Shock me, sway me, cause me to display behavior unbecoming of a lady, such as myself. These current events leave a foul stench, one that cannot be stifled. It is irrefutable. These current events, these ordeals, Occasionally in life, shit is just unbelievably unreal. You have a great reading voice. Thank you. You really do. Have you had the chance to uh, do like public readings of any of your work? Um, no. Like I said, I'm kind of a newbie, so yeah. I'm trying to get into it, but I'm I'm having like you said with the COVID and everything. I sure. Just, yeah. <laughs> like one step at a time, just trying to find the right right avenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I haven't even found the one I actually want to read you. <laughs> but, the, uh, but these are all really good. Um, oh, I found it. Oh, go for it. And it's so funny because I thought of another line from this poem, and I was like, is that two different poems or is it the same poem? <laughs> it is the same poem. It's called Hard Like Diamonds. The beginning was hard, atlas tricks on my shoulders, gravity compressing me small, till I shine like diamonds simple but I was in a really tough spot sure you know and it makes it just makes so much it means more to me now you know and that's what it's meant to do for others you know empower them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would you say that's kind of the overall gain from like reading the work as you become a little more empowered from it yes absolutely absolutely and the more and more you read it the, the more and more empowered you become mm-hmm. I myself reread it all the time uh, I, I actually just recently because um, I have a YouTube channel as well where I upload videos yeah. that uh, about my spiritual experiences I do storytelling so I don't good re- I do storytelling on my channel and um, I just recently uh, uploaded a video See, you're not the only one who does that. Oh my gosh. I have no idea where I was going with that. (laughs) Well, why don't we uh, come back to that in a little bit. Okay, yeah. Let's talk a little more about the channel because I did uh, read about that. uh, And like you said, you you kind of like uh, share the stories. How did you come to becoming like a vlogger? Oh gosh. Okay, so. (laughs) Um, I would love to put put it out there so it's actually going to be the title of my third book um and it's supposed to be a a funny kind of god for dummies kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um but 
how it came about was because in 2017, when I had this massive awakening, I actually started watching more YouTube videos. I was watching more YouTube videos and um, I realized that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be somebody that was able to guide other people and that I could reach more people through this avenue is what happened. That's why I started uploading the videos. Okay. And also I, I um, not only what I was guided as well, I got messages from these other people that I was watching telling me to do this, but um, again, <laughs> I'm too excited, that's what it is. Yeah, I'm having can, way too much fun. I can tell, I can tell. <laughs> but yeah, now, that's how it happened. I just, yeah. I wanted to be one of those people. Oh, right. So in your videos, do you just kind of talk about your own life? Do you talk about like, yeah. other things? Yeah, I talk about my own life, things that happen to me or things that I say, and they all tie into spirit, you know? I get messages and things happen and they're funny and they're sad and yeah. What's been the response from uh, the from, from the from the, uh, the YouTube community? Um, people are watching. Good. That was good. that because I mean again That's with the, the step, throwing really. exactly throwing throwing the fishing rod out there and like I said if I'm not trying to become YouTube famous but it's about <laughs> it's about reaching the people that are seeking mm -hmm. you know and I truly believe that they will be guided to me if they're meant to be just as I was guided to others to mm -hmm. help me. Mm -hmm. So, so you've got your book, you've got your YouTube channel, and you also have your own, um, I believe you have your own, like, spiritual uh, guidance company, too, yeah. right? Yes, Restless Communications. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I do also do guidance on the side. Wow. Yeah. It's a busy life. It is a busy life, but um, the reward for winning battles is more battles, you know, so... There's always work to be done. Okay. There's always, but you, when you love what you do, you never work a day, right? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, I enjoy it. So now that we can have like bio events, we're seeing the returns of expos and conventions and such. Do you see yourself getting out there doing like a book tour, doing like readings? I would love to do that. <laughs> I would love to do that. I would love to do that. And I mean, I've um, tailored my life to the point where I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was part of. The, the journey at first was um, being more about myself, you know. I did a lot of putting effort and energy into others and things that I thought were um, best for me, and it turned out they weren't. So I decided to ask for help, and mm -hmm. when I asked Spirit for help, they were like, hey, this is good for you, and I'm like, I trust you, I believe you, and it turned out to be great because I feel good. So Excellent. What is next for you? Um... What is next for me? Well, I know that, um, well, I'm getting my master's degree. Uh, yeah, I start, I start that. <laughs> is that all? <laughs> yeah, so I start, I, start, um, I start that in January, actually. Uh, my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Wow. Yeah, because um, even though I, I do run the, um, the spiritual business on the side, I know that um, I can reach even more people that way in mm -hmm. a different way from a different perspective you know so because that is one of my gifts is communication so. mm -hmm. and uh, uh, more books too yes yeah, more books in my the second book and the third book and um, actually the second book is pretty much already written it just I have to get it all formatted and put together mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. all right. 
looking back on your life and where you are now, does it surprise you the different directions you've gone in? Um, surprise me? No. Um, does it look different than I thought? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, like I said, I've always been kind of a wanderer, but they say that those that wander are not always lost, right? Mm -hmm. And exactly. I, I now know that even though I felt lost many a times that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't lost and I wasn't alone, you know, and I'm grateful that I wasn't. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, April, thank you so much for uh, talking to me. It's been great to learn about you and your journey in the book. And folks, definitely pick up your copy. It's an absolutely amazing read. But where do folks go to learn more about you and check out the work? Um, you can go to my website, April with a Y, uh, EvonneScott.com. Almost there, folks. And joining me now is one of the many, many, many writers that you can meet there. Elizabeth De Elizabeth Devlin joins me. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Great to have you Thank here. Thank you. Delighted to be here. All right. So there is so much to talk about with regards to your book, uh, Home Waters. But before we do that, I want to talk about the actual event itself. Now, now for some, this is their first time being back before people. Um, are you... Uh, um, what's been like for the past like year and a half with no expos, events, things like that? Well, I did actually do, um, I have done a few events. Mm -hmm. um, I did the um, Reader Writer Conference that um, was up in well, Boxborough, Massachusetts mm -hmm. um, in October, mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun. And one of the venues where um, my books are sold locally is called Gansett Goods mm -hmm. in Narragansett. And they did a book signing for me. Um, when they heard my book was uh, nominated for two national awards, they said, oh, wouldn't you like to do a book <laughs> signing? Which was great and um, went well. So Excellent. that was a lot of fun. All right. Now, so um, um, last year's, uh, last year's um, uh, Author Expo was totally virtual. Yep. What are you looking forward to most when it comes to like, just like being back at this like, huge event? Uh, I think it's going to be really fun to talk directly to readers. Mm -hmm. uh, I found last year I did it virtually, mm -hmm. um, and that had some pluses because friends of mine and fans of mine from other areas were able to participate. But it's nice to actually be able to talk directly to people about your book and give them a flavor for what it's about so they can see if it, it's a fit for them. Exactly. And I think also just like feeling like the energy of being back there, you know, exactly seeing like your table all set up with like your banners and your books and seeing like everyone else all like set up and seeing people just kind of like wandering around, checking things out. It's yep. like feel that like constant flow, basically. I think you are, you have articulated it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And you'll also be doing a, um, um, a panel too as well. Yeah. Um, it, the panel is actually the first one of the day, so... Um, hopefully people will come early <laughs> enough. I think it's 9.45. And it's called Beyond the Google Search. Ooh. Uh, and basically, uh, I and another uh, author and a moderator are going to talk about some of the unusual things we did researching our books and why that's so important to get the details right. Okay. That's, I think, a very like big topic because, especially these days, I think most people just go on 
uh, Wikipedia or wherever else to kind of do the research. But why is it, uh, but why is it like so important to go like past all that? Well, in my opinion, um, and certainly for my book, uh, I'm a huge fan of um, environmental issues and particularly those related to the ocean. And because of that, I, I contribute 25% of my royalties to Save the Bay. Uh, I wanted to be sure that I got the details right mm -hmm. because if you're going to write a book that you hope people will take, take a serious problem seriously, mm -hmm. you better get the details right because certainly people are going to find out if you don't. Mm -hmm. And then you've lost all credibility and what you're trying to do is completely screwed up. <laughs> There's always that one person who will point out the mistakes you make every time. Absolutely true. Mm. And, and, and who can blame them? I mean, exactly. I love reading books where I learn something. Uh, and I tried to write a book where you could have fun with a fun story and a bit of romance and a family story, but that also had some serious science in it without driving you nuts. <laughs> exactly. The best compliment I got after my book first came out was from a fellow writer who said, I hate reading science because I don't, I don't understand science, and I understood this, and it made sense to me, and I was so excited. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I'm re even more excited. So That's a great compliment. So you made science fun. I made it fun and clear. And, and I think I had a big advantage in doing so. Mm -hmm. and, the, and here's my advantage. I'm not a scientist either. <laughs> <laughs> my background is in, is in medieval history. Uh, I studied you know, medieval manuscripts uh, and history. So uh, me doing a book which had a huge element of science in it mm -hmm. meant I had to learn it from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the process, I knew what other people would not know. Mm -hmm. um, and consequently, I couched it in a way, I kept having to ask question after question to understand it myself. And once I got it clear, I let my characters ask some of the same questions I'd asked. Ah, very good. And you also worked with the experts too. You worked uh, with the University of Rhode Island's Graduate School of Oceanography for your book. I did. So you got to go straight to like the tops in the field. How yeah. did that help you when it came to like really understanding but also like crafting your story? Well, the story of actually the, the research of it is, is sort of interesting uh, because when I first had the idea for this book, I had shortly before that just finished um, teaching at the Naval War College in Newport. and. So I was still had the sort of academic connections in those days that I don't really have now. So I contacted someone, the dean at the time of the Graduate School of Oceanography, and asked him if he would put me in touch with one of the oceanographers so I could um, ask them questions about the idea for this book. And he very kindly arranged that for me. And so I met with Dr. Steve DeHunt, um, who's still there on the faculty, uh, and 
he said, well, why don't we go have a bite of lunch and we can chat over that. Uh, and so we did. And I was explaining to him that I had the idea from my main character, who was a sort of Jacques Cousteau type figure um, at the, by the name of Beckett Fallon. I knew quite a bit about his personal story, but I didn't know what the environmental problem was uh, because I didn't have enough background in the science of it. So that's what I went to him to help me with. Mm -hmm. And so we start, started chatting about it, and he suggested a couple of ideas. Uh, and I said, well, but the problem is those ideas you just described to me sound insoluble. I mean, this is a novel where I want to have I want to have a, I'm hoping for a happy ending here. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you know, all perfect in the end, but I think there should be some hope yeah, that I, we can do something about this problem. Exactly. I I think and and an uh, uh, ending where they all died horribly is not really uh, No. It's not really catchy. No, no, not 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 the route for success in popular fiction, but more <laughs> importantly, if you want to inspire other people to look at these kind of problems, and perhaps help deal with them, we all need some hope that we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so that, that had a lot to do with it. Anyway, as he and I were chatting about this, I looked around and I had about eight, eight or 10 oceanographers had gathered, had kind of been overhearing this and they started <laughs> chiming in. And pretty soon we had this huge brainstorming session Ooh. with you know 10, uh, experts uh, and that's where I got the idea for my plot that is so cool it so, was absolutely fascinating. so they were all just like oh what about this what about this yes. do you count for that how yes. about this that's exactly it wow that's exactly it so the these the uh, the other uh, problem uh, du jour for this book is a toxic algae which basically uh, threads all of the east coast how close is something like this to reality I guess well it's a potential threat to the entire east coast sure but it starts in Narragansett Bay. Mm -hmm. And yes, it could happen. Uh, and that was one of the things I asked the oceanographers about. How would this toxic algae, which there's a part of the book that doesn't take place in Narragansett Bay, a small part, but the origin of this algae is the other side of the world. So how did it get to Narragansett Bay? And I don't want to give away too many details about that, but the oceanographers assured me there were a number of ways. You could have, you have sailing boats that are circling the earth who might bring it back. There's a lot of uh, repair facilities in Narragansett Bay that work with uh, racing boats that come from all over the world. And they could have remnants of this algae on their hull and then when they're in the quiet waters, it could expand. And the issue for the algae in this book is that it's, it's not that it's toxic, that there are a lot of existing toxic algaes that are problems, but wouldn't necessarily decimate a whole area. Mm -hmm. But this is an invasive species. It's like an invasive plant mm -hmm. that takes over all of the local uh, ones and completely crowds them out. That's what the potential of this is. So this sounds perfectly possible in real life. Yes. That's yes. scary. Very scary. <laughs> Very scary. Wow. So how did the, uh, like, I guess, like, how did Heavenly Experts 
how did that help you to really like understand this? Were they able to kind of like break it down for you in the more yes. layman's terms? Yes, that's exactly what they did. And then once they had, I I went home from this session, which you know lasted <laughs> a couple of hours, and I was so excited. And then I, as soon as I got home, I started writing every detail I could remember from what they told me. And then I researched it further to better understand it. There are some parallels with Red Tide. Of oh, yeah. On, and, of course, there's a lot of data on that. Mm -hmm. But this is more, this is invasive as opposed to a Red Tide. Mm -hmm. And so I did all the research, and then I basically wrote up the key points, and then I emailed back to uh, Dr. DeHonk to be sure I had everything right. And he, you know, he gave fine-tuned a couple pieces for me and gave me a couple other things that I needed to understand better. And then I basically had my blueprint for that part of the story. What was his final take on this in terms of like, the threat of the algae? Uh, well, that isn't actually his specialty. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but it, 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 he seemed fascinated with the whole thing and was very supportive. So <laughs> I, I can't thank him enough. It would be uh, it would be like amazing if like from this discussion one of the like other students there like wrote this whole like um, uh, research paper on invasive algae species. Well, they ha a number of people have expertise in this oh, at yeah? the at the University of Rhode Island, oh. um, and I've actually I don't know how many people know this, but the uh, Graduate School of Oceanography it's usually called as as I, I know you know URI slash GSO which mm -hmm. is Graduate School of Oceanography and it's one of the five top places in the world wow. uh, for oceanography right. and they offer um, public lectures and workshops quite frequently mm. and I've gone over to a couple related to <laughs> toxic algae Wow! Um, because the idea for this book I had quite a long time ago and wrote an initial draft and then only the last couple of years I took it back up and rewrote the whole thing and then got it out. So at this point you are probably like an expert on all things toxic algae. <laughs> Well, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Right. I, I know my own limitations. Fair enough. But I was careful to be uh, accurate in what I put in the book. All right. So we've talked about the threat. We've talked about the setting. Now let's talk about your main character, Becca Fallon. He has uh, lost his son, thrown himself into this work, trying to find out what is going on with his uh, to uh, toxic algae. Back into his life come um, his uh, his twin uh, grandchildren, along with their step-aunt, and things are happening there. How do you kind of balance, though, the, like, the like, a romance and the family side of this with the, like, the more, like, um, uh, thriller side of it? Um, it's a challenge. I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, that's probably why it took me quite a long time to... Uh, revise the book. Mm -hmm. When I first wrote this book, um, it was, I think, the second book I'd written. Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I probably, when I wrote that first draft, I didn't have the, the technical expertise to do justice to it. Um, I had a lot of interest from Penguin early on mm -hmm. in the history of this book, 
uh, but it never quite fit into their marketing plans for a first-time author. You know, they wanted it to be very clearly romance or thriller. Yeah. Or and how do you do something in between? I like the books that are in between. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of other people do too, but traditional pub publishers sometimes have a hard time figuring out how to market that for a first-time yeah. author, which I totally understand. Because, like, how do you, like, label it? Do you label, like, a thriller, Crime. romance? Yeah, and, and that's the challenge of my life. <laughs> and I, 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 think, I think there needs to be a whole new category of environmental romance. Ooh, um, yeah. I mean, it seems like an obvious thing. I don't understand why it doesn't exist. Well, but you can be the first. I, I, I think I am the first. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked to see if anyone else has done it. But anyway, when after I wrote that first version, um, I didn't really, I think, have the expertise to weave those elements together as successfully as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I put it aside, and I wrote another five books of various kinds. And it was only, as I say, recently. But this one was always kept calling me back. <laughs> it was my favorite. I love the characters in it. And by the time I went back to it, I had a lot more practice and a lot more expertise. And at least people tell me that I succeeded at weaving them together. Um, but it did take a lot of doing. I'll bet. Did you have to... Um, um Outline it, or were you able to just kind of go at it? Pardon? Were you able to uh, to out uh, to out, out a plot and a story, <laughs> or were you able to just go at it? Oh, you laugh at that. Oh no, I, I do laugh at that because um, that has always been my challenge. Uh, I uh, my background is a, a ha, I have an academic background, mm -hmm. and I have met you know many many years of experience writing analytical things. Uh, and I always outline everything, and I have a very detailed plan of attack, and then I go ahead and do it. And I find it doesn't work for me in fiction. Some people can do that, and I wish desperately I could. <laughs> desperately wish I could. But for whatever reason, it freezes my brain. Mm -hmm. So what I've ended up doing, uh, but I had already written this book and had to basically make it... Um, revise it to fit this. But what I basically found I have to do is to just start with a couple of characters, a basic premise, and maybe three or four major events in the story. And that's about all. Hmm. Uh, and then once I have that, that's enough. Because it always changes as you f work on the book. Mm -hmm. And the because of the, the characters come to life. And as the characters come to life, they have minds of their own. Mm -hmm. And so what you thought they might do when you were imagining them initially often is a little different. I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet. so it, it's, I mean, the, that, that's the fun of the process because it always is changing. Oh, definitely. Let's talk about the characters. You, um, you have um, uh, Beckett, um, the twins, their step-aunt, uh, Lainey Carmichael. How did you go about like making the characters? Did you, and did you ever like base them on folks that you know? Uh, no, but I, I did have some ideas about 
bits and pieces of various people I've known over the course of my life, and probably those did influence them. Mm -hmm. But I guess really at, at the heart of it, I asked myself a what-if question. I had started with the Beckett Fallon character, mm -hmm. so I knew quite a bit about him. I knew he was world famous. I knew he did television programs and so on. But in his personal life, he lived on this island in Narragansett Bay, had his own uh, oceanographic institute, and basically didn't like to go anywhere else. He just concentrated on his work. Ooh. And I said to myself, if you have a person like that, you know, what would happen if they're suddenly landed with a family problem that's equally urgent to the issues that they're dealing with in their work. Mm -hmm. We all deal with this life-work uh, balance issue. And I think it's one that resonates, it certainly resonates with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it resonates with many, many people. And that's an underlying theme throughout this book because you have saving the world, mm -hmm. saving your family. <laughs> and you would think that one could kind of like cover the other. <laughs> yeah, you would think you would think so, but um, I I like to think of the book as here you have this Beckett Fallon character, and then he's and he's got this problem that could decimate not only Narragansett Bay, but if it goes be, it could expand beyond that along the East Coast. So a world-class, high-level problem. And then he's landed with this family problem, and the book is what happens after that. Mm -hmm. How capable is Beckett to handle this, uh, this threat, either, either like the science or the family one? The science part, he is very, he's, he's perfectly uh, placed to deal with it, mm -hmm. um, except for the fact that he doesn't suffer fools gladly, so he has a funding problem for his oh. research. <laughs> which, any, which any researcher watching this now or listening to this podcast thinking, oh my God, yes, my entire life. <laughs> right. And, of course... Uh, Lainey Carmichael, the other major character in the book, is a nonprofit expert, and therefore she barters with him to get his help mm -hmm. with the family problem if she will help with the other. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I don't want to get too much into the, no, no spoilers. To the details no of spoilers. that because that's part of the fun of the book mm -hmm. is... Um, surprises in oh. regard to how each of them cope with that. But he certainly starts out the book uh, the last person you would expect to be able to deal with the family issue. And there's a lot of reasons why, mm -hmm. and you, but you only gradually find out what those are. Okay. Now, you have a lot of personal connection to this because you grew up on the Narragansett Bay. I did. How did that help you when it came to writing the book? Um, it helped so much. <laughs> I, it was so interesting to me when I, when I began work on this book, how many very concrete details I remembered without any thought. Uh, everything from ferry rides and exactly 
how things work and the sounds you hear and the smells, all of that. Um, tying up a, a boat at a, uh, a, a dock, all of the details of that. I remember as a child of four on my father's converted fishing boat, you know, be, being so proud of myself because at four years old, I managed to go right around the gunnel and all the way to the front of the boat, <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> I was so excited. Uh, and so, so many of the details uh, of life on the water, and particularly life on the water on Narragansett Bay, mm -hmm. I spent my whole childhood doing, and so much of it permeates this book. All right. Um, what is next for you? Now, uh, of course, uh, you get this uh, book out there. What is in the future for you? I'm working on book two in this series. Ooh. It's a related book. Okay. It's not, it's not another story about uh, Beckett Fallon, okay. although he will feature in it. Uh, but the main character of book two in this series is a woman named Joan Gamble, who is Beckett's uh, assistant mm -hmm. in this book. But she is the star of the book two. Was that always your plan to do like a sequel? It was always my plan to do to do a, a series, uh, but I because I love reading series, and I think a lot of people do. Oh yeah, having okay. familiar characters, familiar settings, but a new problem and a new challenge. Yeah, that's oh. what people like, and that's what I like. Excellent. So that's what I'm working on. All right. Now we should also note that um, uh, twenty-five percent of all proceeds from uh, the sale of the book go towards uh, Save the Bay. Tell me about them and why you wanted to support them through the book. Well, one of the surprises to me in the course of writing this book was how an organization very similar to Save the Bay, although I give it a different name, uh, plays a key role in dealing with the black tribe problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed only appropriate, therefore, that an organization doing the kind of work they do that was instrumental in this book, they seemed the perfect partner. Um, and I, so I approached them when I was getting ready to put out the book, and um, they were happy to partner with me. Excellent, excellent. Well, folks, um, definitely check out Elizabeth Devlin, D-E-V-L-I-N.com for more information. Definitely get your copy or come to the Rhode Island uh, to the uh, to the, uh, the Rhode Island Author Expo um, Saturday, December eleventh, nine a.m. to three p.m. at the Crown Plaza at Warwick, Rhode Island, and hope uh, to see you there. Mm -hmm.